Hello and welcome to Fat Free Film. Thanks again for joining us. This week on Fat Free Film, I am visiting the Seattle Film Festival. Uh, this is a really interesting film festival because apparently it's the largest in the world. That's what they're telling me. Um, I'm going to talk with Beth Barrett, the program um, coordinator, the head programmer here, more about that later on this afternoon. But right now, I have Laura Kim and John Anderson here. Um, they've been generous enough to join me here to talk about um, their book, which is called I Wake Up Screening, What to Do Once You've Made That Movie. Um, this is a, a book that I think you'll find very useful. I've, um, I just started looking at it, so I'm going to ask them about some things. The thing about these two is they're very qualified people. Um, you know, a lot of people are out there writing books about things, but um, Laura Kim is working for Warner Independent, and she also works for a big PR firm. I think it was called MPRM. Uh, so she knows a lot about the nuts and bolts of, of marketing a film, and she does it on a regular basis and can see it from uh, probably both sides, I think. Um, and then John has, is a critic, a film critic, and a writer for Variety, um, Newsday, and some various other um, places. John, um, how did you get into writing for the film industry? Um, <clears throat> I don't write for the film industry. Oh, about the film industry. They would, they would deny that up and down. <laughs> um, I, well, I, I, as I, uh, I was a newspaper man, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, hard news. I was an editor for a long time. And, um, you know, things change, and uh, you, you take opportunities where you find them. And I wound up in the arts world of newspapering and uh, wound up some it's a mystery to me I wound up a film critic somehow have you always been a film buff absolutely yeah yeah went to school late many mornings because in New York uh, back in the old days there used to be one old movie on every night at 11:30, and it would end about one or two and then you get up bleary-eyed in the morning happy to have watched it but feeling like death do you travel around a lot to different film festivals yeah, a lot of them. I mean, there's some glaring omissions in my film festival uh, uh, catalog. I mean, I've never been to Venice, I've never been to Berlin, but I've been to Cannes and Sundance and off the beaten track festivals like Thessaloniki and the Midnight Sun Film Festival in Lapland and um, Singapore and San Juan. They all begin with S. Um, <laughs> right. So. Uh, Laura, do you travel around to film film festivals on a regular basis, or how often do you go? Yeah, I would say that in in what I do, I am for the past probably fourteen years, I've been doing Sundance, Cannes, Toronto, um, and then if I need to go, I've been to Telluride a handful of times, and um, or if I have a film there like Berlin, I've been to Berlin, but I haven't been to Venice and haven't been to a lot of the other ones. It usually is on a as need basis, and I go to the LA Film Festival every year, and have for the past as long as what they've been around 15 years or something. One of the things that we've talked about on this show, and we're very curious about, is the idea of a studio division that, that makes independent films. We're a little confused about what Warner Independent is exactly is. I know you you make films, and then also you acquire films, right? Mm -hmm. um, what makes um, a company like that independent? Um, well, I think that we have to operate on different sort of budget levels. We have to operate in different um, and more lean ways. We can't spend the way, you know, the larger studios or our counterparts do. Um, 
at, at the big studio. And I probably speak for all the other studio-affiliated independent divisions in saying that. I mean, it wouldn't make sense if we did. We wouldn't. It wouldn't make financial sense. We talked with um, Film Independent uh, mm -hmm. one time on the show, and um, we were trying to. We were asking them what makes an independent film, and they said that a lot of it has to do with an auteur's vision, right. uh, a, single a single person yeah. who has a single vision. Would you agree with that? Um, I think so, but I also think that um, there are clearly films that that are more crowd-pleasing, broad films that can also be independent films. So I, mm -hmm. I think that while in, in our minds we sort of categorize this auteur sort of idea of independent filmmaking, there's also a lot of, you know, just good independent films that may not necessarily be um, one person's voice and vision. Mm -hmm. I think that it's, I would say that it, it has to be original in thought and 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 generally speaking, um, these films, the writer is who, and who is the director. The director, um, he, the writer must write and direct this film and it wouldn't work and it wouldn't work if it was somebody else's I see. You know what I mean? It, yeah, you can just comes, throw somebody from, else in yeah, there. Yeah, it comes from inside you, and you couldn't have somebody else direct it because... It wouldn't work. Yeah, it wouldn't work. So I think that you do see that a lot, that, that they're generally the same writer-director. Yeah. I, would, I would argue that, that, that there are plenty of independent, quote-unquote, films that really aren't independent, and, and, large, and films produced by larger companies... Prairie Home Companion comes to mind. Um, that are really independent films, if you accept the definition as, as a tourist. Um, if someone goes to Sundance with their, you know, their fifty thousand dollar movie, but all they want to do with that movie is get into the studio system, I wouldn't consider that a particularly independent film. Mm -hmm. And then you have studio films that are, you know, um, interesting original films that 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 feel like independent films. Also, you know, like American Beauty is one of those that. Yeah. There, there, you know, there are certainly, I, I think that, you know, you find studios trying to make more interesting and brave and um, risky films in that way, and I think that you find independence, some of them becoming more broad and bigger. Well, the, I think. Not, to, not to, you know, um, patronize Laura, but um, one of the reviews I, uh, that, that, uh, among the reviews I've read, read of the, the new Superman movie, which is from Big Warner, mm -hmm. is that it's really kind of a personal film. Um, and that's what everyone seems to remark about who has seen a long lead screening. Um, it doesn't come out for a couple of weeks, I guess, but, um, but there's, you know, it's Brian Singer and it's, uh, you know, I guess Kevin Spacey, American Beauty, kind of made me make those associations. Well, also, the, the thought is this. When I see that they're remaking Superman, I want to find out what's different about this Superman than the one that I saw with Christopher Reeve, or you know. So why should I go see this Superman? So it seems like if you're a, a PR person, you or a marketing person, you want to bring out that special thing and make it known in the uh, poster or in all the advertisement that's going on uh, to indicate, oh, this is a this is an auteur's vision, or this is Brian Singer, um, you know, something that that would get me to go to the theater. Because other than that. Um, I'm just thinking I'm going to see the same old Superman. Yeah. Well, I think the, what you're what you're touching on is a uh, a tension that exists in Hollywood, whereas they're not so sure people don't want to see the same old thing all the time. 
Um, I think people, there's a certain segment of the audience that's scared off by um, movies that are too, that are presented as too, being too idiosyncratic or individualistic. Um, I don't think they made much of an effort with uh, Mission Impossible 3 mm -hmm. to distinguish it from Mission Impossible 2 or Mission Impossible 1. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why it didn't do as well as they expected, although it did very well. Now, you worked on the film Good Night and Good Luck, just mm -hmm. marketing and that. Was that a difficult film to market because of, A, the political parts of it, and also because it was in black and white? And uh, All of it. I mean, the period nature of it, the black and white nature of it, the historical kind of educational feel of it. You know, a lot of people thought it was a documentary. Um, yeah, it, that one is really hard to make it not feel like spinach. Mm -hmm. um, how do you mean, feel like spinach? It's just like, like it's a good movie for that you people and... feel like they should see, but when push comes to shove, they just really don't want to, it's but they feel like they should. It was, a, it was a very entertaining film and, uh, you know, so well-crafted yeah, and exquisitely, kindly. And yeah, 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 really exquisitely. It's all about getting people into these films. I it's, mean, it's creating, for that movie, it was definitely trying to create a sense of urgency and the, the need to see, you know, making people feel like they had to see it to be part of any sort of dialogues or that... It's um, it's hard. That's hard. You know, it stars David Strathairn. It's mm -hmm. who I love. But he's an incredible he's a actor, but not like yeah. he's a big star to me. Yeah, to me. Right, <laughs> me too. Yeah, to <laughs> us. Yeah. <clears throat> and then um, yeah. I mean, it, we had a, a string of really difficult movies, and on you're gonna laugh when I say that, but Penguins it was a hard movie because we didn't really have anything to work with in lots of ways except the film. And March that was of the, the Penguins. The best tool, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, you weren't going to find a penguin next to Lindsay Lohan in an SUV. There's no way to interview. around. You know, there's just no way to there's generate. There's no way to cause trouble. There's no way to get, you know, penguins on gawker.com. You know? so. <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys that. Is, is, does that happen, do you think, that um, a star will do some wacky shenanigans just to, to up the It's the only way to explain some of the stuff. It, that is the, do you think that that goes on? Or? <clears throat> there are a couple it of seems cases. Like it would do you work. remember um, Nicolas Cage had a, a film called Sunny? Oh God! Do you remember? Yes. And that week, he and Lisa Marie announced their divorce or something, oh. or that they were getting something, right? Divorce or <laughs> yeah. marriage or something? Married but, divorce, one of the other. <laughs> but I'm sure it helped that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. probably <laughs> you know, I think it just—I think it really just depends, and I it think needed that, help, as I recall. Um, you can't really account for everyone's actions, but um, most people aren't really trying to, you know, get arrested so that the movie will. Yes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Although but it, is, it would help. But it is funny how coincidental some of these it things are. It does seem to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I think that it may get awareness for a particular project, but in the end, it, that kind of awareness, it doesn't mean it makes people want to see it. You know, that's, well, that's what's interesting about, even with publicity campaigns and with marketing campaigns, what you find is that there are so many films out there now and there's so many choices in entertainment and so many other things and games and things people want to do that... It's not enough to have people have to have be, be it's not enough to have people aware of something mm -hmm. you have that your materials and that message or whatever it is have to make them want to do it or see it okay yeah. so I'll, that's, I'll, can I just okay, give you yeah, an example mm -hmm. um, when when uh, uh, who's the Australian when Russell Crowe threw the cell phone at the guy at the concierge mm -hmm. at the Mercer Hotel wherever it was in New York that that whole incident effectively killed Cinderella. I felt like that happened. Th Nobody that wanted to go see it because they took Russell Crowe as an arrogant, uh, 
A lot of times, and, the, yeah, people. I think people's personal opinions about somebody can affect whether a movie opens or not. Yeah, a case like that was just and that really backfired. Like, yeah. that and then, really but the seem. BAFTAs, then everyone in the world heard about the BAFTAs. <laughs> That's right. It was good for the BAFTAs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> What's good for the BAFTAs is good for America. So I want to ask some real basic questions. It, let's say I am making a film and I'm getting the funding together and I've got a script and I've got some people attached. Let's just say that's happening. Um, it probably is. But um, when should I involve a PR person, or who should I ask about whether this film is marketable? You know, because you want to you want to have an eye towards the end result. You don't want to make a film that no that the film festivals aren't going to take. You don't want to make a film that is too esoteric for you know a wide audience. How do I go about? When do these people come on board? When does depends, it depends on your budget and uh -huh. the size of your film and your cast? I would say that for most first-time films that are really made independently, the kind of you know you emptied your bank account, you use your credit cards. You probably don't need a publicist. Make sure you have a lot of photography. Take lots of pictures on the set. Yes, because you can't re you can't like you reassemble one. everybody. It's huge, isn't it? You have you have. That's all the materials people are going to need. I think for people later. think, oh, I'll just pull it out of what I shot, which never works. No, no. it doesn't at all. Yeah. It doesn't. But it's amazing how many people who we talked to for the book went back to that same point. It sounds banal. Everybody uh, from festival programmers to editors at magazines to newspaper people to everybody said one of the most important things to tell filmmakers right now take plenty of production stills. It's a, it's a funny wow. thing, but it's just... And it's the same for me. When we when we pick up a film, when you, you give me like two packages of like... 24-hour photo, like, I can't use that. I can't use it. And if you want a good poster, then you need good pictures yeah, taken you, on the set. You have to use something besides your camera phone. Yeah, um, I've had that problem myself. When I've made a short film, brought it to a film festival, and they're like, we need the stills, we need to, a package. And I'm like, wait a minute. Well, maybe I'll try and pull them from the film. And there are no, no good you can't pictures it, yeah. from the film, and, and they, they're not that quality. Right. Yeah, so I agree. People look different. I mean, as it's pointed out in the book, it's pointed out in the book. But, yeah, a lot um, of distributors said the exact same. Everybody says that. And so if you're in the middle of making your movie, mm -hmm. just make sure you're covered that way. And also shoot a little bit of interviews with your cast, your crew, you know, just so that you have it. People mm -hmm. hardly use that stuff. Don't do the big making of or shoot tons of B-roll. Filmmakers think people care. They don't. Mm -hmm. And very few people really use Maybe that. Maybe they can use it on a DVD or something, but that's Filmmakers so Filmmakers also line. think that people care. Yeah. But they don't. <laughs> people yeah. just want to see a movie. Probably. Well, going back to what you said, though, it's, I, 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 I took notice of some, one thing you mentioned that you, you know you don't. You said you don't want to make a movie that that perhaps is too esoteric for a film festival. Maybe you do, though. I mean, maybe you do want to make the movie, but the point is you have to know what you've got on your hands. Mm -hmm. You've got to make an honest assessment of what you have, what you want to make, and how appealing it is to other people. Because if you get your movie in your own correct crosshairs, mm -hmm. then you're, you're, you're going to save yourself a lot of pain and expense. Do you think film festivals go for certain types of films? Certain, uh, like, let's say... Well, um, when you're in Seattle and the thing runs for a month, they go, to, they go for every film. Yeah, one thing about the Seattle Film Festival that I find, or it seems to me, is that it's a really audience-driven um, festival more so than, than other ones I've been to, like Cannes or Tribeca or... Uh, the, the, it just seems like there are these people that love movies that are coming to this thing. It's not like all yeah. filmmakers. There. Well, I think Laura would agree too. I mean, Toronto is the same way, right? Um, it's a lot of quote-unquote civilians going to movies, mm -hmm. unlike 
can or Sundance or... I mean, if you're programming because for an audience because you want to please a certain community of people and introduce them to films, it doesn't matter um, whether a movie is a world premiere or not. It has to be a crowd-pleasing movie or something they will appreciate or some something that is playable to them. So, or if you're so festivals niche. have to program that way. Like if you're somebody, if you're a festival that's seeking um, industry um, attention and industry acknowledgement that you're a contender in the festival world, you need world premieres and preferably really good world premieres. I mean, mm -hmm. Cannes is the, probably the world the world's most premier festival. The and they they screen first. I mean, they they screen world premieres of all the world class filmmakers, you know. So a world premiere, you kind of have to hold off for when your world premiere is, when the first festival that you showed yeah. in, so that it's it's the perfect one or the highest level or the most people will yeah, see I, this world premiere. I would really be careful about you know just saying yes to whoever asks you. I think most people have the the tendency to be really excited that they got an invitation somewhere, they got accepted somewhere without first having thought of okay for this film these. Eight festivals would be in in this order would be the most important for us to go to, and go through the process of submitting and what whatever and and make sure your film is ready to be submitted. Just because you think it's done doesn't mean it's done, you know. And because you 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 may show it, they may not like it, you know. And you move down the list, and you may realize that that you will world premiere your movie in like the basement film festival. Tulsa. Mm -hmm. In Tulsa. Um, but it, 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 being a filmmaker, it really, uh, with a film ready for film festivals, really taps into one's inner nerd. You know, it's like, I'm never going to get another date. So <laughs> I've got to grab the first one. You know, I'm going to the prom, and uh, I've got to take the first date that's offered to me. And it's not necessarily the case. And if you, uh, and Laura can talk about this better, but there are so many niche-marketed film festivals that if you fall into one of those niches, that may be the best place to premiere. Or, or, or it may be Sundance. But right, it's not, there are it's film festivals that are just like fantasy film festivals. Sure. Or there are gay and lesbian film festivals, and there are all different all kinds, kinds of ethnic film festivals. Um, I, I, um, and at the same time, you, sh you have to think about the biggest life for your film. I think that one of the examples that is brought up in the book, I think Amy Tobin talks about, is Tarnation. You know, if, hmm. if, 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 that, if Jonathan Coet had sort of had a very specific vision of his film, he could have just done the gay film circuit, but he believed it was more than that, and he actually reached for beyond that. You know, I think that that's another thing. All filmmakers and all they they all think their stories are universal. He also had the <laughs> help. They're not. Yeah, he also had the help of some well-known filmmakers like John Cameron Mitchell mm -hmm. say, "Hey, I really love this thing," and kind of champion mm -hmm. it for him too. And is that is that important to get people to champion your film? So you're an unknown filmmaker. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, of course. Does it's that important, help you get But around? I think that it's it's not just people. It's people who have really good industry sort of know-how and understand that you don't just send tapes to all the buyers or you know just somebody who has really good advice to give you people who can get favors out of people you need favors from I yeah I always hear the story I mean there's a friend of a friend said that they got their film back from a certain film festival and the one of the reels hadn't even been cracked open you know they oh, still yeah. had the seal on it mm -hmm. things well, the, like that I guess well, the story is you know that the, the film festival programmers have to be very careful to rewind the tapes that they have because when you <laughs> hand it back to someone it's and only there. 10 minutes has been looked at it's yeah. a dead giveaway that uh, you know you didn't really meet their expectations. One of the things that I really like about this book is that you give some very specific examples. You say, uh, 
like uh, foreign film agents. Here's here's a list of them. Here's a list of good uh, PR firms. Um, and also the people in the book seem to be uh, people that you always hear their names. Um, uh, you know, they're they're the ones who are, are you really doing. They're interviewed in every book. No, no, I think no, no. no. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they're you see them in Variety next, like John Sloss in particular. You you see their names and you think, I see their names and I think, wow, you know, if you had a film that was a, that this guy was handling, it would be. You know, really a big thing. Well, none of those people would talk to me, but Laura, they all want to talk to. <laughs> was it um, uh, difficult to get all those people to contribute to your book? No. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, a lot of a lot of a good chunk of them I see all the time, or we're together at festivals, or our screenings, or in work situations. Anyway, so it's just an extra, you know, twenty or thirty minutes. You probably. It's a pretty intimate. Is it a pretty you know, small crowd? Huh? Network of people. Well, it's the ones that have lasted. And this is a point that we make in the book. The people who have lasted in the business, who mm -hmm. have been in independent film for 15, 20 years, are there because they know what they're doing. And these are the people that you want to set your sights on when you, you have a film. You know? and, uh, I mean, I think people you, do it for a very specific reason. They, they choose to work in independent film. You know? mm -hmm. It's and, not an easy business. It's not, and it's not one that necessarily promises you, you know, wealth or you, you prizes, because cash. You, it is this particular kind of film that that compels you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because you know, I mean, these people are very smart, and they could succeed wherever they go. Yeah. Laura being a good example, and uh, me, I'm another case entirely. But <laughs> but Laura is a good example. Somebody you know who does it because they love it, and uh, and they could have a much easier life than you know running from film festival to film festival. With movies that oftentimes people, you know, are, are reluctant like to see. You. Like you, like you. Films like that. You. Do you find that certain to see or I see everything. Right, bad things about. <laughs> yeah. What do you do when you come to a film festival? Do you um, try and figure out what the the players are, who the the big hype is going around, or do you just go see whatever you happen to, what you can get to see? Well, Seattle is a is a is an unusual case. I think it's a, it's a strange animal in the world in the zoo of film festivals. Um, because whenever you come to Seattle, it's a different festival over the course of the almost That's what four weeks. Because it's so long. They 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 will run films for two or three days. Maybe give two screenings. I don't know if they ever give more than two screenings to a film, and then the film is gone from the festival. So it's a constantly re evolving or revolving. It's almost like five small festivals. Or yeah, yeah. It changes from week to week. I mean, you, you, someone who was here last weekend will not be seeing, will not have seen the films that we're seeing this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, other festivals uh, are, well, shorter. Most of them are... Like the Basement Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Tulsa. In Tulsa. Um, but it, 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 being a filmmaker, it really, uh, with a film ready for film festivals, really taps into one's inner nerd. You know, it's like, I'm never going to get another date. So I've <laughs> got to grab the first one. You know, I'm going to the prom, and uh, i, I got to take the first date that's offered to me. And it's not necessarily the case. And if you, uh, and Laura can talk about this better, but... There were so many niche-marketed film festivals that if you fall into one of those niches, that may be the best place to premiere. Or, or, or it may be Sundance. But it's right, not, there are it's film festivals that are just like fantasy film festivals, sure. or there are gay and lesbian film festivals, and there are all different all kinds, kinds of ethnic specific. film festivals. I, I, um, and at the same time, you, sh you have to think about the biggest life for your film. I think that one of the examples that is brought up in the book, I think Amy Tobin talks about, is Tarnation. You know, if... If a, if that if Jonathan Coet had sort of had a very specific vision of his film, he could have just done the gay film circuit. But he believed it was more than that, and he actually reached for beyond that. You know, I think that 
that's another thing. All filmmakers and all they, they all think their stories are universal. He also had the <laughs> help. Not. Yeah, he also had the help of some well-known filmmakers like John Cameron Mitchell mm -hmm. say, "Hey, I really love this thing," and kind of champion mm -hmm. it for him too. And is that is that important to get people to champion your film? So hey, you're an unknown filmmaker. Oh, sure. well, yeah, of course. Does it's that important, help you get But around? I think that it's it's not just people. It's people who have really good industry sort of know-how and understand that you don't just send tapes to all the buyers or you know just somebody who has really good advice to give you people who can get favors out of people you need favors from I yeah uh, I always hear the story I mean there's a friend of a friend said that they got their film back from a certain film festival and the one of the reels hadn't even been cracked open you know they oh, yeah. still had the seal on it mm -hmm. things well, the, like that I guess well, the story is you know that the, the film festival programmers have to be very careful to rewind the tapes that they have because when you hand it back to someone <laughs> and only there. 10 minutes has been looked at it's yeah. a dead giveaway that uh, you know you didn't really meet their expectations one of the things that I really like about this book is that you give some very specific examples you say uh, like uh, foreign film agents here's here's a list of them here's a list of good uh, PR firms um, and also the people in the book seem to be uh, people that you always hear their names, um, uh, you know, they're, they're the ones who are, are you really doing... they're interviewed in every book? No, no, I think, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not saying that, I'm saying that they're, you see them in variety next, like John Sloss in particular, you, you see their names and you think, I see their names and I think, wow, you know, if you had a film that, was a, that this guy was handling, it would be, you know, really a big thing. Well, none of those people would talk to me, but Laura, they all want to talk to <laughs> Was it um, uh, difficult to get all those people to contribute to your book? No. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, a lot of a lot of a good chunk of them I see all the time, or we're together at festivals or our screenings or in work situations. Anyway, so it's just an extra, you know, twenty or thirty minutes. You probably it's a pretty intimate, is it a pretty you know, small crowd huh? network of people? Well, it's the ones that have lasted, and this is a point that we make in the book: the people who have lasted in the business, who mm -hmm. have been in independent film for fifteen, twenty years are there because they know what they're doing. And these are the people that you want to set your sights on when you, you have a film, you know. And uh, I mean, I think people you, do it for a very specific reason. They, they choose to work in independent film, you know. Mm -hmm. It's and not an easy business. It's not, and it's not one that necessarily promises you, you know. Wealth, or you, you prizes, do it because cash. You, it is this particular kind of film that, that compels you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because, you know, I mean, these people are very smart and they could succeed wherever they go. Yeah. Laura being a good example. And uh, me, I'm another case entirely. But, <laughs> but Laura's a good example. Somebody, you know, who does it because they love it. And, uh, and they could have a much easier life than, you know, running from film festival to film festival with movies that oftentimes people, you know, are, are reluctant like to you. see. Like you. Like you. Films like that you... Do you find that certain to see or I see everything. Right, bad things about. <laughs> yeah, what do you do when you come to a film festival? Do you um, try and figure out what the the players are, who the the big hype is going around, or do you just go see whatever you happen to what you can get to see? Well, Seattle is a is a is an unusual case. I think it's a, it's a strange animal in the world in the zoo of film festivals, um, because whenever you come to Seattle, it's a different festival over the course of the almost That's what four weeks. Seems because it's so long. They, they they will run films for two or three days, maybe give two screenings. I don't know if they ever give more than two screenings to a film. And then the film is gone from the festival. So it's a constantly 
evolving or revolving. It's almost like five small festivals. Or yeah, yeah. It changes from week to week. I mean, you, 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 someone who was here last weekend will not be seeing, will not have seen the films that we're seeing this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, other festivals uh, are, well, shorter. Most of them are shorter than Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, but they will, um, you know, they'll program screenings at the beginning and the end, maybe in the middle, and you can have the same basic experience no matter when you come or go. And But sat at Seattle, very few people come at the beginning and stay till the end. Mm -hmm. uh, if Unless they're from they out of town. live here. Yeah, they live here, <laughs> yeah. right, right. I mean, the only, uh, San Francisco is a long festival, and they're, they're, they're similar, similarly inclined and also a community festival. They're not an industry festival. Um, Sundance is, you know, pure industry, mm -hmm. and, uh, and films are, are screened multiple times. Uh, Cannes is the same way, I guess. But I guess those are only 10-day festivals. We sort of, I think, look at film festival lineups different ways. And this is my first time in Seattle, so I, because we have two films here this year. But I, um, when when you go to a festival, sorry, I think this was your question, right? Like about you know what do you know what you're going to see or whatever. Yeah, right. I think that you, generally for you, what you'll see is um, what you need to write about for the next, you know, all the movies that have release dates that are coming up. Or generally, journalists, hmm. that's what they do is they sort of, you know, try to see everything that's opening in the next month or two, take care of as many interviews they can that of films that are going to open but um and what's happened is films that don't have distribution it's really really hard to get them at any attention at festivals like this yeah you know because if there's not a reason for someone like you to see it it falls a little bit lower on the priority list whereas for someone like me or um companies like ours where you know what we'll do is circle the films that we haven't seen at the past festivals that we've been keeping an eye on or tracking films by directors we've that we like um Films that are available that have cast films that, and basically. Yeah. The, well, the counter argument to that though is that if you if you're working in a major market, you're going to be able to see the films that are being released. So you might take the different tack and mm -hmm. go see the films that you may never see again. Do um, you ever find something like that that is getting no attention, and you go see it, and it's absolutely. fantastic? Totally. All, all the time, and and sometimes the reason, you know, that they're that they're fantastic films is because you tap into them in some personal way and and then if you're a member of the media like I am you can sometimes championing championing those films and and get them some exposure and mm -hmm. somebody will come along and say what was that film you wrote about it sounded really good and then you tell you know it's 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 a small world um, do you remember when I called you, or I called you one day? Is this going to be a bad this? story? No, no, no. Remember when um, the cruise screened in New York, yeah. and, and you came out on like a Sunday? It was like a hundred degrees. I had to wring my shirt out. I know it was like before I sat in the theater. Degrees, but I literally, there's this movie that I loved, and yeah. it didn't have distribution, but it was a documentary called The Cruise, and and so I I, I called like a handful of people that I thought. Well, yeah, you, you talk know, about that in your book. Yeah, but yeah. he was one of the he's one of, he's one of the first people to, to ever see it and really you know. It was a hellish afternoon, but it was a terrific movie, and I was really glad I saw it. And it was one of those, you know, Laura knew me, um, and and part of the reason I went out to see it was because I was friends with Laura. You know, mm -hmm. if it had been somebody calling out of the dark, I might have said, yeah, 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 and then gone to the pool or something. <laughs> but um, that was annoying. Do you remember they played like a 40-minute short before? <laughs> and that's another thing you should know about festivals. I think that's the point during the period in which I was recovering from heat stroke. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. What but is the, but the director was Bennett Miller. Bennett Miller, who, who went on to make Capote. Capote. Wow, and that was quite a film. Nine years later, I think. Yeah, a long right? time. Yeah. Okay, it looks like we have to wrap it up here. Um, we're at the point now where we do this thing called film bites. 
film bites. And I'm going to give a film is bite. A, is that a declarative sentence or is that just a description? It's, uh, okay. it's, it's a declarative sentence. Um, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, okay, so I'm going to give mine and then you guys can, if you want, you can give one. If you don't want, that's fine right, too. Okay. Sometimes I've opted out. I'm never at a loss for words. Um, my film bite from listening to the two of you, um, well, I'm going to just say this one is um, you, you guys said it's a small group really, as far as um, these people who are choosing films, going to see films. And so I'm going to recommend that you know who the players are. Um, read Variety, read The Hollywood Reporter, um, listen to Fat-Free Film, and uh, just get yourself as informed as possible. You can never know everything about who everybody is, but it's always a good idea to know who the major players are so that you can um, you know, get your film seen by these people. Um, I would say before you lock picture, make sure your film is really done and as, as good as it can be before you show it to anyone. Yeah, and, and just coming off what you said, Joel, um, I, I keep stressing the idea of, of doing research. Um, and that goes hand in hand with knowing what you've got in the can. When your film is done, as Laura is saying, if it's really done, um, you have to look at it, see what you've got, and then go out and figure out who has had the best success with that kind of film, mm. and who is most going to love your film. Which film company? It's easy enough to do. Go to IMDb, figure out who's you know who's done a film like yours. Not necessarily that you're it's you know if you're you have a genre picture, that's one thing. If you have a small intimate story, that's another thing. And just figure out who who your best candidate is to distribute it and and represent it and love it. And, uh, and, and follow according. That's good advice from both of you. Thank you so much for spending time. I know that uh, you guys want to get out there and get rolling on this thing. Uh, Laura and John, I appreciate it. And I know my listeners appreciate it. And um, thanks for talking. Thanks.